Don't leave God's presence to be in the presence of a man. If you can learn to do that, if you can learn to be in God's presence and not the presence of a man, what will happen is you'll transform into a person that can be in God's presence and the presence of a man. And when that happens, you can pour it out. You can hear him. You can prophesy. You can pray. Everything becomes available to you when you learn to be in God's presence continually because we can't learn to pray continually if we can't be in his presence continually. And there is a place that we can get to where those things do exist, where we can pray continually, where we can seek him continually, where the power of God can pour out of you continually. I believe that that's possible, amen? But we can't do that when we're bound up and chained up. It's necessary for us to come into freedom first. It's necessary for us to be equipped and trained first before we are released into victorious battle. See, you have to first get free before you can set others free. That's how it works. So if you can't win your own battle, how are you supposed to help someone fight theirs? If you can't get free and you're in chains, how are you supposed to go war for the other ones in chains? You have to first have those chains taken off you before you can move into victory and breakthrough yourself. And whether those chains come off you is more up to you than you might believe. It might be necessary for you to change the way you perceive in order to change the way you believe. If you think that you can't get free, you will not. If you think those chains are holding you, they'll hold you. Let me say this about chains that carry people's lives. Do you know that a baby elephant from the time he is born, that they put a chain around his leg and they take a stake with that uh, chain and they pound it into the ground so that the baby elephant cannot move past his chain. But do you know as that baby elephant grows to maturity, grows into who he's called to be, and becomes an adult, that that elephant is powerful and strong enough that just with an easy, quick kick could pull that spike right out of the ground. It has no power over the elephant Except that the elephant believes it does. So the elephant will never pull the chain. If you go to a circus, you will see elephants that are held with a spike. Because they believe, because of their past defeats, that they cannot have victory now. They cannot pull that chain from the ground. And so they feel as though they are stuck because they perceive they are stuck. And they've created that perception into a belief system. And in order to get free, the first thing you need to realize is the chain around you is not as strong as you. Some of you don't realize how much strength God has put in you. You're still meowing and you don't realize you're a lion. And that the power of God resides inside your tongue. But you keep thinking that you have no authority. In fact, some of you, not only do you think you have a weak tongue, you think you have a forked tongue. The enemy has convinced you that you're broken and corrupted and that you're no good. That every time you mess up, God can't use you because of look what you've done. You're nothing but a snake. And so what do you do? You just keep slithering for the rest of your life. Because somebody told you you had no value and you could not be a lion. And some of you need to recognize that somebody is lion, that you are a lion. Hallelujah. So it's time for us to not just receive revival fire, for, but for us to increase. For us to increase. We want to turn up the heat. 
We want to turn up the fire. My family has this terrible habit that drives me absolutely mad. Um, and they know it. As soon as I say this, I'm like, because every time I walk in the kitchen, every single time, and these people only know how to cook with all the fire. Okay? And we have these pans. We have these pans for our stove that have these like, like rubber plastic handle things on them, right? They're all stainless steel, but then the, the handles of them are rubber plastic. And I know when they have turned on the fire because I smell burning plastic through the house. And so the bottom of all these handles, like if you turn them over, they're like bubbling <laughs> because they've been burned all the time. And I'll walk in there every single time. I'm like, can you not smell that? What, I need the water to boil. You don't have to burn the handles to boil the water. Like, you don't have to do this. Yes, okay, our stove is actually exceptionally hot. For some reason, it just runs really hot. And I know this, and they don't seem to understand the fire just needs to be under the pan, not above the pan. Like they, it's not helping. It's not helping. It needs to be, so I, I will go in there, and, and, and heaven forbid you should cook something on the back burner and have to reach over the front pan to stir the back pan. I... Uh, I'm actually a lot more hairy on this arm than this arm right now. Like, yeah, like, yeah, no, no, all of this is gone right now. All of this is gone. Right. This is not even an analogy. This happened. Like, every time I reach over the pan, I'm like, seriously. And, and then I see all my hairs have singed. And then that wonderful aroma of the sweet offering I've committed to the Lord as my flesh has been offered up to him. Right? Who says we don't do these sacrifices anymore? I just offered a little flesh right there. Burned up in the altar. Okay? It adds to the recipe clearly. Singed hair tastes wonderful. But the, fi the fire comes up out and starts to burn the things around it. Everything that comes near it begins to be burned. And while I can't stand that in the kitchen, I think I could take that in our walk with God. I think that some of us need to turn up that heat to a point where everything around us, it's not just us that are feeling the fire of God, but everything around us must be consumed by us. Because when we get in the presence, people have to realize, I'm in the presence of a holy God because I've stepped into the presence of a holy man. I've stepped into a fire carrier and it can't help but be consumed out of them. Has anyone ever walked up to you and said, man, are you a Christian or something? Or what's different about you? Nobody? Yeah, you got work to do. Okay, you better raise your hand because the rest of you got some work to do. If no one's ever walked up to you and said something's different about you, it means there's been no fire pouring out of you. Okay? That's not condemnation. It just lets you know where you're at and where you need to go. Amen? Amen. Someone starts coming up and says, I noticed how broken you are. Maybe you should check where you're at. And that's not the moment to say, well, I go to Freedom Fellowship Church. I've gone for years. I've never gotten any better. Don't advertise that way, okay? Just don't tell them where you go. Hallelujah. <laughs> that sounds funny, but that's actually like a true statement. My dad's always telling me about how he's telling everyone to come to our church. If you've met my dad, you know I'm like, no, 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 no. Stop telling people to go somewhere that you don't believe in. 
he's not a good ambassador of what of, of, of a representation of us. Thanks, appreciate the props. We need to be good ambassadors of that which we represent. We need to represent it well where somebody sees you and hears you and then you say, you should know the Jesus I know. They don't say to you, why? There's nothing about you that's, that's different than me. You can't bring someone to Jesus while they're counseling you. Amen? What are you representing? What's pouring out of your life? What's the fire that comes up out of you into others? What is the confession of your mouth when other people hear you speak and hear you talk? What is the confession of your mouth that would say there's something different about them? There's a hope in their voice. There's a hope in their promises. There's a hope in their perspective and outlook that I don't carry and I want that. We need to be fire carriers and fire releasers. That must happen. But we need to understand the power of our words matter. Not just perception, but authority. We've talked about the prophetic decree and the power of the prophetic decree. Last week, we talked about the reason why prophecy is the greatest gift of all the gifts. Because it is literally how the world was created. He spoke the world into creation. Everything around you, this carpet, this stage, this microphone, this drink, this computer, is a prophetic decree. It is the substance of prophecy. It is literally the manifestation of the spoken word of God. That man has taken and molded like God molded the, the dirt he spoke into existence. So everything around you is oozing, living, breathing prophecy. It is a manifestation of a world of prophecy and you need to recognize that. That's why it has so much power what you speak to change and shift your atmosphere. To change and shift the world. So because of that, it's important what comes out of our mouth line up with that reality. That is the reality. That's science, folks. And as soon as we get that, that the basis of everything is not the atom, it's not the lepton or the neutrons, that underneath that, it's the spoken word of God holding those together. And when we catch that, it starts to change and shift the way we speak and what we declare and what we decree and how we think and what we write. Because here's the reality. There are only two things that can come out of your mouth. Blessing or cursing. But let me say it differently. There are only two things that can come out of your mouth. The, I should say it this way. The, there's only one thing that can actually come out of your mouth. And that's testimony. Everything that you release out of your mouth is a testimony. You are testifying to something. I don't care if you're teaching, if you're just speaking about something, if you're telling a story, you are testifying to something. I went to Applebee's last night and had some food. That's a testimony about the food that was given to me, that the, the provision of my life that I was able to go to Applebee's. There's always a testimony. Was the food any good? Yeah, it was really good. It was tasty. That's a testimony about the food over there. Oh, no, the service was slow. That's a testimony about the service. Everything I speak is a testimony. But here's the reality. While everything is a testimony, there are only two things you can do with a testimony. You can either testify for the enemy or you can testify for the Lord. And if your testimony is not for the Lord, then it is always for the enemy. And you need to recognize who you are testifying to and for. Your testimony has the power to shift your destiny. Your future is in that testimony. And so what happens is, is we don't recognize what's coming out of our mouth as a testimony. Let me give you an example. I got healed. I got set free. 
Russ was testifying to us and the leaders in there, there, and he says, I have a testimony. He goes, my shoulder was healed in the service. Amen. So he got his shoulder. He's moving his shoulder around, and he's testifying, right? He's testifying. We need to recognize that what we do is testify. So it doesn't mean that we can't come up and say, hey, can you pray for me? My shoulder is hurting. That shoulder is hurting. What is that the testimony of? It's the testimony of the enemy attacking you or the testimony that something is wrong, right? So that is a testimony of the enemy's warfare against you. It is. I'm not saying you can't say that. Don't ever release that. There's nothing wrong with saying where you're at, but if that's where it stops, you are now testifying and proselytizing and preaching for the enemy. My shoulder hurts. So we're just going to testify and decree the enemy's victory over you? Or are you going to say, my shoulder is hurting. I want the Lord to heal me. Will you pray for me right now? And I believe God can heal me. I'm seeking the testimony of the Lord. So we never testify for the enemy and leave him in the victory camp. Yes, he's attacking us. We're not pretending like he's not. We're turning a blind eye to something that's happening to us. But we are not going to stop there. We're calling for soldiers to come and fight the battle into victory. If we just say, he beat me, that's the testimony. My shoulder hurts, he beat me. My shoulder hurts, pray for me, means he's attacking, but I'm going to win. Amen? Is that, is that helpful? So what happens is, is that we don't realize what we do with the words that come out of our mouth. I was on Facebook. I don't even know why I get on Facebook, because that's how the stories always start. Right? It's always, I was really frustrated because I read something on Facebook. It's usually how it happens. Just like this, I'm like. <laughs> Somebody that I prayed over got completely and radically healed. Testified for weeks about their healing. I won't give any details because I don't want you to go try to find who it was. But they're testifying to healing. And yesterday I read their post and their post is all, I give up. Bad things always happen to me. Every time I try to do anything, this happens and that happens. So I give up on life. Done. Finished. I'm, I give up. With a, with a nice picture of I give up. Like literally a picture said, I give up. I don't care if they find it. I don't care because they need to hear it. So I hope they're actually watching. They need to hear it. You have testified that the enemy has defeated you. You have gone out and announced to the world and blown your trumpet and said, enemy, you have won. And you've given authority to the enemy to bring victory over you and bring destruction on your life. So you haven't given up the fight so it doesn't, you don't have to fight. You've laid down and let him give the final death blow. You have spoken death over your life. You've literally invited the enemy in to kill you. Do you understand that? When you start to complain about your circumstances, complaint is a testimony of the enemy. Let me say it this way because I told my leaders this this morning. I said this, I said, some of you all need to get different counselors. Some of you all need to get different friends. You need to change your environment that you roll into. If you are the type of person that you have a conversation and you have a friend like this, that when you have a conversation, at the end of the conversation, one of you says, thank you for letting me vent. Get a new friend. Stop thanking your friends for letting you curse yourself and complain and testify to the enemy's victory over you. Get a new friend. Get a friend that will cut you off in the middle of your complaint. 
and start pointing you towards Jesus and the solution to your problem. Get a friend that says, stop telling me every detail of what made you mad and let's pray and have breakthrough. If you have said, thank you for listening to me vent, stop it. Stop it. Come up here right now, I'll throw some water on you so you don't so you'll always remember me saying, stop it. You tell me what you need. We're gonna tie a string around your finger, you know, so you can remember every time. We'd put a little shock collar on you like the dog, right? Every time you start complaining, your spouse can hit that. No, that would be really bad. Some of y'all would use that button for everything. Oh, I'm sorry, I thought that was negative. <laughs> you just said I love you. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Some of you need a little shock therapy. <laughs> Blessing and cursing, the word of God says, can't come out of the same tongue. Amen? Amen? And the greatest example of this is very simple. It's found in Numbers chapter 13. We learn about the story of the 12 spies. Caleb and Joshua and the other 12. 12 spies, representative of 12 tribes. One representative from each tribe go into the promised land so they can scout it out. As a cohesive whole, Israel is represented. And they go in to Israel and they come back. And they come back with what? Ten spies come back with a negative report. Only two of them have a positive report. Ten say we can't do it. The two say we can do it. Who does Moses listen to? The two. He believes the two. But who do the nation of Israel believe? The ten. And what happens is, is this happens, Shoshana did a great teaching on the 9th of Av, that day that this happened in the Jewish culture. Go listen to her deeper waters for the fullness of this, but I'm going to give a piece of it. So the 9th of Av was this day in which they went in and the 10 spies came back with a bad report and the people believed it. And because of that, because they believed the testimony of the enemy, the nation did not enter the promised land. In fact, nobody from that generation entered the promised land. God said it's for another generation. So not only does the, the testimony of your tongue determine your victory, but it determines the victory of those who hear it as well. Some of you all think bad things about other people because somebody you love and trust told you they were bad. And you think it's hurting them. And it's really killing you. You have not walked into your promise because you, because you have decided to buy too many lies of the enemy. Your belief system is lined up with the enemy and God cannot release promise to those who do not carry promise. You carry problems, not promise. You need to let go of the enemy's testimony that is your problem. And some of you like to get wrapped up in other people's problems way too much. If you don't have a solution, stop getting in their problem. Well, I just want to listen. Stop it. Stop it. Stop being an ear for the enemy. See, that's what happened to Eve. She just listened. She just listened to the snake. Let me hear you out. Let me hear what you got to say. Didn't end very well, did it? So, so, the, so the ninth of Av happens this day. And what's amazing about it is this, this generational curse has followed the Jewish people. 
The ninth of Av has been a day of disaster over the Jewish people through the course of history. There's a ton of things that have happened wrong on the ninth of Av through the, the history of the Jews. Destructions of the temple and all sorts of things. Go listen to Shoshana's teaching on it to hear all of it. But let me just give you two that you might be familiar with is that uh, World War I was declared <laughs> on the 9th of Av. That's when it happened. And that was when Germany decided to attack Russia, declare war on Russia, and that began World War I. That was the day. And we know that World War I and World War II was the same stirring up uh, problem that just kind of shifted, and it ended in the, the death of over 6 million Jews in the Holocaust by Germany. You know, the day that the first uh, gassings began to happen, the day they, the Jews arrived for the gassing, was the 9th of Av. So the war, World War I and Germany's path started on the 9th of Av, and they began to murder Jews on the 9th of Av. That's the truth. They began to be killed off. Instead of walking in promise, they began to be killed and taken away from their promised land even further. Because they bought a lie. See, what you need to realize is what you confess today and what you hear and believe today will not just affect you, but it will affect your, inher your inheritance to come. The inheritance of your life is determined by what you believe today. So what's the confession of your mouth going to be? Are we going to be people that walk in revival? What's your decree? We're going to receive revival. We're going to be a blessed people. We're going to walk in the faithfulness of God. I'm going to be obedient to God. I'm going to have victory over the enemy. Though there is a chain around me, I'm about to pull it out of the ground because I am not a baby elephant. I'm a lion. Some of you are just baby elephants and you're just blowing your trumpet all over the place letting people hear your pain. But you're not trying to get it fixed. In fact, it's quite the opposite. You want to complain about something you have no willingness to change. I know I'm stepping on some toes here, but some of you need to hear that. I need to hear that sometimes. Because, man, it feels, come on, let's just be honest. It feels really good to get in our feels, doesn't it? There are times where you're upset. You know what the worst is? When you are just really steaming mad. Woo, I'm so upset. And the person is really humble and apologizes immediately. You hurt my feelings. I did. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. What? What? I'm really sorry. Oh man, I was, oh, I screwed up, didn't I? What? What? Yeah, I guess it's okay. <laughs> right? And you're like, I really want to be mad for 10 minutes at least. Won't you even just let me be upset for a minute? but they're just too apologetic. Anybody ever had that? I, come on, every one of us have had that. I'm complaining to Rachel, like, blah, 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 blah. And she's like, I'm sorry. And then I'm the jerk, right? We all know that's true every time, so it's okay. <laughs> or she'll be like, don't be mean to me. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, I guess I am. Yeah, that's true, that's true. I'm gonna stop now then. And, uh, we, sometimes it just feels so good to get caught up in our feels and we want to be in our feels and we want to complain about some things. But the truth is, is that the enemy buys you into that. You are, just like what Thomas said, is that you are emotional, but you're not controlled by those emotions. They will pass. You are not your emotions. Hallelujah. So we need to increase. 
But the first thing we need to increase is the confession of our mouth. We need to start believing that we are people that need to increase, that we can increase, that we can level up. Amen? There's an increase coming. The kingdom of God is releasing increase. All you have to do is line up to it and you'll receive it. It will pour out on you if you'll just simply line up. The entire world is a spoken word of God. Are you speaking in alignment to what heaven is pouring out? Because you see, if you stand in the shower and then come out of the shower and you're still smelly, it's because you forgot to stand in the water. If, you, if the water is here, you have a big enough shower. Some of you guys are like, that doesn't work for me. We just, wherever you are. Okay, but if you've got a bigger shower... You can, how many of you guys realize you can be in the shower and not get wet? Maybe you just get a couple little splashies, okay? You get a couple, you get, you get a little steam shower. You got steam on you, so there's some moisture there. So someone's like, oh, you've been in the shower, but you still stink. You still smell. So you came to church, but did you get in the water? You read your Bible, but did you ask for God to give you revelation or did you just learn a children's story? You prayed, but did you just repeat, repeat a prayer that you're not even thinking about and connecting to God? Did you get in the shower or did you get in the water? Because if you do not line yourself up with the living God, in the water of God, you will not be cleansed. You can be in the environment without actually it changing you. But I'm wet, but I'm moist, like the water has come over me. Because, no, it didn't come over you. It just got on you enough where you look like maybe you were. But the test is when someone comes up to you. When they get close enough, will they see that God has changed your life? Or will they see the same old mess? It's a difference, right? We, we got a hot tub. Rachel will go to get in the shower. She's like, do you need a shower? And I'm like, no, nah, I was in the hot tub today. I got wet. Doesn't that count? She's like, no, that doesn't count. I'm like, yeah, it kind of does. Especially the way I take hot tubs where I throw the laundry in there with me and put laundry soap and just do it all at once. Men, I can help you. I can help you. I got techniques. Okay, forget this spend all day with little tiny washing machines. I throw it all in the hot tub. That's a true story. Go watch my TikTok. I did that. I got clean and my laundry got clean. I had a laundry baptism. It was wonderful. Holy Spirit showed up and there was an overflow of bubbles of the Lord right there. It was amazing. They got at least three feet high. It was amazing. It was the best. <laughs> so we need to increase it. It's time and a season for us to press in deeper and go further than we have before. We need to get uh, our increase on. The fire of God needs to stir up out of us. Okay, some of us need to stop the confession of our mouth. and We need to stop celebrating our sorrow. That's the other thing we need to stop doing. The confession of your mouth, but you need to stop celebrating your sorrow. Stop celebrating the spirit of sorrow. Stop testifying for the enemy. What happens is, is, what do we do? We create monuments and idols to our sorrow in our life. Look, grief happens. Sorrow happens. I'm not immune from this. Let me just be vulnerable and tell you my story. So many of you know that I've, I've lost a brother. People ask me how many siblings I have. I say I have two sisters and uh, I have two brothers. One of them still on earth. 
And I lost my brother Jason when he was in his 30s. And he died. And he's gone on to be with the Lord. And, and usually every year, my mom will message me and be like, you know what today is, right? Tuesday? No, I don't know what today is. And then I remember, oh, I know why she's messaging me. I know the season. Okay, okay, this must be the day. But I have purposely kept that date out of my mind. I don't remember the date. I'm confused on the date. I confused myself on purpose on the date. When I started to remember it, I started telling myself different dates so that I would not celebrate my sorrow. I would not memorialize my sorrow and remember to pay attention to my defeats. It's one thing to learn from the things that have happened in the past. You need to know what happened so you don't repeat it in your future, but you do not need to celebrate your sorrow. Sorrow is something for you to get over, not become. It's not something for you to celebrate. And many times what we do is we get trapped in our sufferings. We get trapped in our sorrow. Now, you can rejoice in your suffering, but you should not commemorate it. You should not create a monument to it. You should not come and worship at your sorrow every year. So if you've had tragedy in your life, stop memorializing it. The Bible says this. It says not to get tattoos, doesn't it? Doesn't it say that? All you all got quiet because you're looking at me. Oh, Pastor Ren. But you got those before you were saved, right? Nope, got them after I was saved. I was a pastor. But the Bible says not to get them. See, some of you don't read past anything. Actually, it's literally the same sentence that says, don't cut your sideburns and don't get tattoos. And then it's the sentence before that. And then it says, don't get tattoos or shave your beard. That's literally, or shave your beard. So some of you guys that judge stuff like that, you don't get any, like, I see you clean shaven, sinner. Sinner. You shouldn't have those tattoos. Why'd you cut your beard? I will look right at him, you clean shaven sinner. Wicked, wicked man. Okay, or woman, you know, so you don't know. Some, some, some of y'all know. Some of y'all know. Sometimes, we've all seen one or two. Okay, <laughs> that's awful. Um, <laughs> Jesus help. <laughs> Jesus, I went to elephants, so now I'm thinking about circus things. <laughs> Jesus help. Oh, it's a clown show up here. Um, okay. I'm just trying to juggle all the things God is saying to me. Okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. Okay, so, so it's literally the same sentence in the word of God that says don't get tattoos, don't shave your beard, and then right before it, don't, or right after it's uh, don't, don't trim your sideburns, okay? And if you look at that, it actually says don't get tattoos in the remembrance of the dead. Don't shave your beard, get tattoos in remembrance of the dead. And it's talking specifically about remembrance of the dead. Now, I'm not saying that, that that's the only reason, but, but in particular, God is trying to teach us something. God is always interested in us increasing. He's interested in us learning more and e increasing. He's not interested in us decreasing. He doesn't give us reasons to decrease. He wants increase. And so what happens is this. God's word says if you are obedient, if you are obedient and you obey your mother and father and you honor them, he says he'll give you what? A long life. Some of you think that's a blessing. A long life. Everyone's like, I want to live a long time. But do you know something? With everything that happens in the earth, there is a 
positive and a negative spiritual principle to everything that becomes available whatever we walk into. When we become a Christian, we put a target on our back. That happens. When we begin to war against the enemy, he wars back. He tries to win. Doesn't mean he can, but there's still resistance. That's normal. If you're not getting resisted, you're probably not in battle. If you're getting really resisted, learn to battle better. Okay? These, these kids come up to me after service and they're like, I want to fight you, Pastor Reed. Let's fight. And they want to wrestle with me in the, on here. They offer resistance. Futile resistance. Resistance is futile. All right? They, and, and I throw them around. But they're still giving me resistance. But I storm over them. Okay? I walk over them. But there's still some resistance. Now, they start pushing me around. And they start winning. Whoo! I need to level up. But there always should be some resistance if you're actually warring. But if it's heavy, you need to level up. Level up to your enemy. Okay? And so the word of God says this, we'll be given a long life, a prosperous life. But you know what happens when you live a long life? You lose people. And the longer you live, the longer your life is, the more you will have loss in your life because others will go on to heaven before you. If you live to 120 and all of your friends live to 90, you spent 30 years without the people you spent your life with. 30 years. Some of you cannot comprehend that. 30 years of, I lost everyone. What happens if you start memorializing yourself for your sorrow? That's why the Lord was saying, that. I'm, not, I'm not condemning anybody. If you got a tattoo because you lost someone, I'm not condemning you. I'm just teaching you something about why those things can be toxic to you or be hurtful to you. So you don't continue in that, okay? You don't have to go get lasered off. I'm not saying that, okay? We're, I'm not, I don't think the Lord is saying you're sinning. I think the Lord is trying to get you into the right mindset, amen? Is that okay? Okay, so I want you to understand this, is that he was saying don't memorialize yourself for that in remembrance of the dead. Don't tattoo yourself because what happens is, is that eventually your body is a memorial graveyard. If you get a tattoo for everyone that you have lost so that you can remember your body, every time you look at yourself in the mirror, it will be a symbolism of death and loss. That's all you are. And everything you look at will be the negative side. I've lost, I've lost, I've lost, not I've lived, I've lived, I've lived. God wants you always looking forward, never looking backwards, amen? We need to be a people that are looking for tomorrow. I am so excited about what happened last night. I would, man, the glory of God and the oil showing up on people's hands. But you know what? I'm over it already. I'm ready for what's gonna happen today. You know what's even better? I'm really excited right now for what's gonna happen tonight. Woo! Some impartation, some outpouring. I'm like, Lord, can I stop now so we can get to tonight already? I'm excited about what's to come. I'm not living in the past. I'm not living in past glory and not living in past defeat. I'm looking forward to my future. Here's the truth. I can always tell someone who's stuck. I can always tell someone who does not have any hope of their future. Because when they start to hear music, they will always tell me the same thing. Oh, that's not good music. Let me show you good music. And they will pull up music from when? When they were in high school or college. They will always tell you, now this is the best songs. This is the best music. And I will always say, were you in high school then or college? And they'll go, uh, yeah, yeah. They always remember that because that was the time in their, ho in their future or excuse me, in their past where they still had a future. That was the time in their past where they still had hope about what was to come tomorrow. And I can always tell that they've given up on tomorrow. They believe that the best that is to come has already happened to them. And that there is nothing forward. And they look back. And they memorize everything. Look, you can always tell that's the truth, okay? Look at the clothes. 
I'm telling you, as, as the designers come into power, they always start designing stuff from their time in high school. That's why the 80s come back and then the 90s come back. Okay, it's all coming back. Just save it. You don't have to buy clothes. If it ain't worn out, put it in a box. 30 years from now, you're in style, baby. It's the truth. Okay? It's the truth. Why? Because they're looking back at their glory days, the days where they were still excited about life. And even though they've had success in their life, they stopped being hopeful about the future. They've become, they've become bitter. They become disenfranchised with people. They still believed people were good back then, right? They still believed they could change the world and they allowed the hope in them to leave. And so they get stuck in the previous things. So even in the glory, and this happens in the church, it happens with, with people like me. We, we sit around and we tell stories about the old revivals. I was in this, and, and we do, as a pastor, like me and Thomas, we're sharing those stories to build your faith for what we're about to do. So don't think there's, there's something wrong with sharing the past glories. There's nothing wrong with that. But if all you do is sit around and share the past glories so that, and not release new glories, you're stuck. So it doesn't matter whether it's positive or negative. Stop looking backwards at everything if you're not looking forwards to the future. It should be a setup for what's about to come. It should not be, I remember the good old days, but nothing happens to me now. As long as you are breathing, God has a purpose for you and there's more available to you. God wants something else for you right now. Right now. And so Joshua and Caleb were the only ones that had a good report. And the ten had a negative report. And Joshua and Caleb believed that God could do what he promised to do. And could do it through them. And the confession of their mouth was we can have victory even in a land full of giants. And right now we are in a shifting season where God is saying, if you will decree it, I will release it. I will give you the promise if you will just believe I will. God had already said, I'm going to give you this promise. All they had to do was just trust him. They didn't even have to figure it out. They just had to trust him. It wasn't that complicated. But their confessions wouldn't line up, but Joshua and Caleb's did, and they were the only ones allowed to enter into the promised land. They led the charge. They were the ones that led the charge into the promised land. Isn't it amazing? Just simply trusting God will position you into a place of leadership and increase. Just, he said it, I believe it, that's it. You can parrot the Lord and increase in your life. It's not complicated to do what God is calling you to do, amen? So I want us to increase this morning. I want us to go deeper. I want us to prepare ourselves for increase, but the confession of your mouth matters very much. The words of your mouth matter very much. And we have to stop testifying for the enemy. We have to change the way we think about the enemy. I always this. I always that. Do you? You have given authority to the enemy. You have prophetically decreed destruction over your life. I, I don't know how many times I've heard people say, you know, uh, I was reading something and someone was, uh, someone was asking the question, do you think God will give you a word about when you're going to die? Because I knew this one boy, he kept saying he was going to die, he was going to die, he was going to die. And then he got hit by a car and died in a car wreck very shortly after that. Do you believe he had a premonition that he was going to die? Like, no, he had a declaration he was going to die. He spoke death over himself. There's only so many times you can decree a thing before you see a thing. 
I believe I'm going to live. We teach you to say, I'm going to live, right? I'm going to be blessed. I'm going to be abundant. I'm the head, not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I'm blessed and not cursed. I am highly favored. We speak these things. What happens when we speak the reverse? Stop thinking your negative words have no power. Man, I went to Honduras. I'm going to tell you a past glory. I went to Honduras and I took the team down there with me. My team knows. Susan will testify to this. Isaiah will testify to this. He was the only one who was like, mm -mm, I ain't taking any part of that word. I'm standing in Honduras. It's like 65 degrees of perfection, banana trees everywhere, mountains, lush green, the most beautiful tropical place you've ever seen. And I take the camera out and I get the, I get the crew on and I'm like, hey guys. And, and it was in February, so it was snowing here. Okay, you guys were all freezing to death, all right? And we get on the camera, hey guys. And I'm doing a 360. Look at the beautiful mountains. Look at the tropical pair. It's 65 degrees out here. Pray for us. We're suffering. We're suffering for Jesus. Okay, we're down here. We're just suffering down here in this tropical paradise, suffering. Pray for us. You know, I was rubbing it in a little bit. Look how beautiful it is. And it sounds like a good joke until we all started suffering. Every one of us got sick, except for Isaiah. Isaiah was the only one that got away from that word. All right, he's like, mm-mm. I thought it was a good joke. I thought it was funny. I thought everyone would get my sarcasm. Apparently, heaven doesn't deal in prophetic sarcasm. They don't, that doesn't translate well. It's like a text message to them. They didn't read the tone. That was, that was a joke. And they were like, oh, yeah, it doesn't translate. So we all got like sick as dogs. And we were going, we did every ministry assignment we were called to do. We're walking in. <laughs> One night I was just feeling so bad. Pastor Isaac was kind of decent. He was doing okay. And so I said, you're preaching tonight. Pastor Isaac got up there and preached. You want to see something funny? Watch an African with an African heavy accent who likes to scream and shout. Preach to a bunch of Hondurans and watch the translator just struggle. with. Yeah, hilarious. I had to translate to the translator, okay? So it was fantastic, two levels to get there. So I would just change up everything he said, you know? <laughs> no. But that night, I'm just feeling so terrible. I'm feeling awful. And the Lord, I'm sitting in the back because I'm sick. I don't want to touch nobody. I don't want to pray over nobody. And the Lord says, get up and go pray at the altar with those people. I'm like, Lord, I just came to listen. And even listening is hurts. It hurts. I don't feel good. I'm a puke. It's not good. I got a fever. I'm nauseous. I'm coughing. And the Lord says, go up there and pray for those people. And I start going up there and Isaiah's like, what are you doing? You know, he's mouthing at me, doing you're like you're not supposed to be around people you're contagious you know and, and uh, so I'm like oh, I'm just gonna be obedient to the Lord so I go up there feeling miserable I get up there and I start praying and then I look over here and there's a woman she is sweating bullets she is obviously has a fever she's standing there and prays and she throws up on the altar she throws up and this is not a demonic thing, okay? It wasn't like she was being delivered or anything. She had the sick, okay? She had the flu or whatever. She had something and she was, you could tell, she was miserable, but she came to church because she heard that there was a God who could heal her. Throwing up, fever. I want you to catch this. Throwing up with a fever. I'm not telling you all to come to church throwing up with a fever, Okay? But we do have the soccer bubbles, the you know, big bubbles that we can put around you. So we can roll you in, pray for you, and roll you out safe. 
Problem solved. But I'm saying, look at the hunger that this woman had. So here I am, sick as a dog, and the Lord says, come up. And I realized afterwards, the Lord sent me and had me go up there just for her to get me out of my own sick and pour out onto somebody else. So I'm sick as a dog. Why? Because I confessed it out of my mouth. And so I come up there and I lay hands on this sick woman and I have to around the vomit, literally, and lay hands on her. And you could tell she's embarrassed that she did it. But I get around it and I lay hands on her and I pray for her. And then I feel released and I go sit back down in the back. At the end of that service, she comes up to me. There is no sweat. There is no shaking. There is no headache. And she's smiling and bright and she comes up and grabs me and hugs me. And she starts saying all kinds of Spanish stuff. But the interpretation came to me through the interpreter standing next to me. And he told me, and he told me, y'all were like, whoa. And he told me, she said, she had a massive headache. The headache instantly left. When I prayed for her, there's no fever. She's not sweating. She's not shaking. Her stomach is settled. She was, the, the translator tells me, she feels completely 100% back to normal. And I'm like, praise God. Oh, I shouted too loud. I shouted too loud. And I get back in the truck and drive the hour back to where we're staying in the bumpy roads going, oh, 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 the whole way back going, I sh I, oh, I shouldn't have come. I, I can't lean the seat back. Trying to figure out how to lay in the truck just to, just to make it back. And I realized this, this hurts. So I stayed sick and she got healed of what I had. Because my confession was that I'm suffering. Her confession was, I'm going to go where God heals. She had a different confession. Two people, two different outcomes based on the confession of their mouth. Amen? So we need to recognize that we need to chase after the things of God. What happens is that we self-isolate ourselves. What we do is anybody ever remember, and I'm going to close with this, but anybody ever remember uh, the, the little children's toy, little party favors? It looks like, uh, uh, like a straw, like a big fat straw, and you stick your fingers in it. Come on, some of you guys remember this, right? You put your thumbs in it, and you put your fingers in it, and when you try to pull, you're trapped. I can't remember what they're called, like Chinese... Chinese handcuffs, right? Yeah, so you put your fingers in there, and then when you try to pull, you get stuck, right? And in order to get out, you have to know, you have to push. You have to press, and then you can release from them. That's what gets you. The pull happens. And so what happens is that the enemy comes, and he puts chains and shackles on you. He puts the Chinese handcuffs, and what happens is when we get trapped in those things, instead of pressing into God, we pull away. We pull away from church. We pull away from our family. We pull away from the ones that love us, and we don't press in, and we don't realize that our release is to press in to that chain so it'll snap off us. We need to run at the enemy and attack him and come at him instead of fighting and repelling and saying, I never win, so I'm going to retreat from the place where victory happens. I'm not going to get around my Christian friends. I'm not going to get around church. I'm not going to read my Bible because it just doesn't go right for me today. So I'm going to give up and let it go wrong forever. God wants you to press in so you can be released. When you press in to your suffering, when you press into the brokenness, when you say, God, it's attacking me, but it will not defeat me. I, I must be at war, so armor me up so I can bring the victory. 
That's what God wants to do in you this morning. That's what God wants to do in you this morning. Some of you need to press into what's happening to you. You don't need to pretend it's not happening. You, and you don't need to testify to what the enemy is doing. But you need to start to take victory. You need to start saying, I have chains they need to break. And they will break. The chains will break. We don't deny there's chains. We simply say they must break. And they must fall. And today I believe that God wants to break those shackles and those chains off of you. That the enemy cannot keep you in bondage anymore. And cause you to hold. See, because you guys just don't realize that the more you withdraw, the, the tighter he gets you. The more you withdraw, the tighter he gets you. The more you press into God, the more free you become. Stop withdrawing from the presence of God. You know, you know the last ones to come to the altar are usually the most broken. Jesus withdrew. I want to, it says that Jesus withdrew into the wilderness and the people found out he was there and they came and sought him out. Well, why was he withdrawing? Because he had just found out that John the Baptist had been beheaded. He just found out his cousin has lost his life for the gospel. He knew it must happen, but he had human emotions. And so he had a sorrowful moment where he went to deal with his sorrow. So there's nothing wrong with dealing with your sorrow, with having sorrow, with having those emotions. Jesus separated for a moment to deal with his sorrow. And the people found him, and it says when they came to him, he had compassion and healed them all. And then... The disciples came and said, send them all home. They need to go home and eat now. Like they had a nice service, but it's time to send them home. They're hungry. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Let's give them some food to eat. And he multiplied bread and fish. That's when it happened. So at a moment when he tried to isolate himself, when he saw the need of the people, he had compassion for them. So much so that he even made sure they were fed, they were fed so he could continue. Wow. In the moment of his greatest sorrow, he pressed into the Lord instead of, shrinking because of his sorrow. So if Jesus can do that, and he's human, he's all God, but he's all man, and he came a little lower than the angels in order to represent what humanity can, then you can do that too. And so maybe the solution to pressing in is to go and meet the needs of somebody else when you're suffering. Stop complaining about your day and start asking someone else how to pray for theirs. Start complaining about your marriage and start praying for somebody else's. Stop complaining about your job and start praying and helping somebody else with theirs. Stop complaining about your kids. <laughs> maybe sit someone else's maybe. Help. Be an encouragement. Support each other. Don't let each other vent. Don't let people vent to you. Stop venting to people. But make the confession of your mouth a support and an aid. Start pouring out who you are like Jesus did. Usually the people that carry the thing that needs to be broke off the most, the sickness that is the worst, that do not receive. Because they have already aligned themselves with a belief system. And they've already confessed defeat. Because if your belief was, God wants me free, I'd be, you'd be the first one running up. You wouldn't have waited to the altar call. You'd have been laid out on the carpet hoping to just be near healing just to be in the presence of God. You would press in until you had it. Every chance you had, you'd be praying, have someone praying for you and pressing into worship. And at the very least, you'd be like, well, I'm just getting myself prepared. Either I'm getting healed here or I'm doing this forever, so might as well get comfortable. Why can't your confession be different? Why is it the ones that need it the most are the last ones to run up for it? What's holding you back? What is your belief system this morning that is robbing you of the victory.
Bow your heads with me this morning. I want to say this first of all. Some of you guys have no confession uh, of victory because you have no relationship with God. You've never confessed. You've never made Jesus your Lord. You've never come into alignment. So you're just negative all the time and you think that's cool. And you don't realize you're destroying the potential that God created you to be. Maybe you've made Jesus your Lord. Maybe Jesus has come into your life, but you have not been living that way at all. And the confession in your mouth has not been one of a believer. One of one that's surrendered to Jesus. And this morning, you know you need to surrender your life to God. This God who can bring the victory. This God who loves you and has given you the authority to change your future and give you hope and not destruction. If that's you today and you say, I need to, I need to come into relationship with Jesus. Either I've never done it or I need a recommitment because I know I've been far away. Raise your hand so I can pray with you. Nobody's looking around. It's just me and you. If you're online, just say, yes, Jesus. If you're watching online, say, yes, Jesus, right now in the comments. Amen. Who else? Come on, there's one more. I feel it. I sense it. I don't know if you're online or in this room, but I feel it. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Church, will you pray this with me? Say, Jesus, I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that you are Lord and that God raised you from the dead to set me free from a jail sentence of death. That I have sinned, but I ask you to forgive my sins and I believe you are washing me clean. Lord, create in me a new heart. Make me new. Transform me into your image. I surrender to your plan and not mine. I make you the Lord of my life. That I am a son or daughter of heaven. In the name of Jesus, amen. Hallelujah. Come on. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Just keep your head bowed for one second. We're going to do things a little bit differently. Tonight, we're going to have impartation and all of that, so I'm not going to make a big altar call tonight. I can come up. Most of you are my people. You've been prayed over by me a bunch. So we're going to save that for the big impartation. But I want to pray this over you right now. There's one more online. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for that that said yes, Jesus, today online. We want to pray for you. Send us a message with your prayer requests through Facebook or email and let us know how we can pray for you today. Also, let us know how this message impacted your life. I love you. God loves you. Shalom.